Career Day Live is a Stop Clowning Around production. You can learn how Stop Clowning Around helps people succeed in life and career by mastering the art of connection and relationships by visiting StopClowningAround.com or Facebook.com forward slash StopClowningAround. YouTube, television, documentaries, commercials, and internal business communications all require the skills of a talented video production engineer. In a day and age when video footage is easy to capture and upload, the excellent content stands out and is produced by expert engineers. Elias Huck now runs his own video production company and shares why video production engineering is a career worth exploring. Elias, thanks for joining us, and would you tell us a little bit about your role and how you got there? Thanks, Scott. Um, I am the owner and operator of Sly Cat Productions, which is a small video production company. Um, we do everything from shooting video and film to you know, editing, motion graphics, and really everything in between. I've been doing this for 12 years now. Did you start, uh, you, you mentioned you've been doing this for 12 years. Is this with SlyCat or have you been in the video production space for 12 years? And then what got you interested in the space? Well, um, so SlyCat Productions as it is, um, it's a new name. Uh, previously operated from day one of graduation under Real Vision Productions. Real Vision um, was a freelance side of my professional career. So even though when I first got out of school, I got a full-time job working in television, I also did freelance work on the side. And in order to do that, I operated under Real Vision Productions. My first job out of college was for Joyce Meyer Ministries, which um, was a wonderful experience. It's one of those places that people don't really completely understand because it has the word ministry behind it. So a lot of people think it's a church, but um, what it is, in fact, is a an outreach program funded by television production of Joyce Meyer. So um, it's it's very very interesting and and it's a long explanation, but um, I will just say that I had the opportunity to work there for five years, and it was a wonderful experience. It um, I was able to get my hands on all kinds of different sides of video production. And I got to a point where, you know, it was either up or out. And um, there wasn't anywhere up that I could go. So then um, I took a job at Barry Waymiller, which is a, a company that produces machinery and those machines make 
the stuff we um, consume. So, um, for instance, corrugated board or what a lot of people call cardboard, um, they make, you know, 80 percent of the machines that go to Amazon and Amazon uses those machines to make their corrugated board. And when you receive a package from Amazon, that box itself was made by a Barry Waymiller machine. They also make or make the machines that make passports and um, filling and just all kinds of crazy stuff that most of us don't think about until you actually see the machine. And it's, it's a fascinating um, industry. My job there was video production leader and um, started out as one guy. And the real role there was to help promote the message of the CEO. He had previously five, six years prior to me being there, created a new leadership model in the company and they they coined it people-centric leadership. And so um, with the excitement of the company and the fact that people were starting to really show interest from the outside, you know, companies like um, Southwest Airlines and um, AT&T, you know, all kinds of companies that had very similar leadership models started showing a lot of interest. So it became a necessity to bring on a full-time video person that would primarily travel and do stories about the employees throughout the organization and basically talk to them about how the leadership model has affected their lives, which um, right out of the gate was amazing. It was, you know, a huge opportunity. Um, I grew the department from just myself to um, a total of three people. So two other employees underneath me and um, a cycling intern. So a four person team um, by that time I left. And, um, you know, it, it was a great place to work. It was a wonderful experience, but I decided, um, you know, after five years of doing that, that it really, it was kind of getting stale to a certain degree. There was, um, it was kind of doing the same story about a different person every time. And so it became evident to me that, you know, if I didn't move on, I would kind of end up stuck. And right. so, um, so I, I started looking around and it turned out that one of my mentors had a position open um, at a place called Tybee Studios. And um, he and I discussed it and I ended up um, moving on from Barry Waymiller to work as a contractor for Tybee Studios. Um, and we did basically a one year um, contract and then the way this happened the um the Slycat Productions um basically we got to 
close to the end of the relationship at or my contract at Tybee. And he and I sat down and he said, you know, I, I really don't think I want to renew. You know, it hasn't been easy, but I was able to bring a lot of my clients that I had from when I was doing, you know, freelance on the side um, over to Slycat. You know, I basically when it happened, I got in touch with everyone that I had worked with in the past and said, hey, guess what? I'm available full time now. You know, I'm self-employed. So anything you need, anytime you need it, let me know. I know how you work. I know what you need, you know, and it was a pretty seamless change. And so it's interesting um, because now I'm, I'm doing work for Anheuser-Busch and ESPN and those kind of companies that, you know, not only when I was with Barry Waymiller would I have never touched that kind of stuff, but at Tybee, I was kept away from those kind of clients. Quick question as we talk through this. Um, I see how you got there, and wow, it, it's it already taught me a lot. And I think a lot of times our listeners, and as we're trying to figure out what we want to do in life, we, we see something, we imagine a role, and we we kind of almost put that role in a box. So if I can be honest, I sit there and when I right. think of video production or, or or any type of video work, you know, I start to think about the guy in the newsroom who's behind the camera or maybe the control room who's doing some of the production of that. Uh, even when you mentioned Joyce Meyer, mm-hmm. and I think most Christians know who Joyce Meyer is. You know, I can see the person mm-hmm. who's videoing the uh, the the the. Uh, Oh, event that she's putting on the conference or whatever the case may be. But then you get into Barry Waymiller and you talk about a different message. And, and you know, at first I'm like, you're recording cardboard. And then I realized, no, it, it, it's a bigger message for the organization. And then you start telling me what you're doing with your, your own firm. It seems like the opportunity in this work is limitless on the types of production you can be doing. Is that correct? Or, or can you share a little bit about what maybe some of the different opportunities are day-to-day, week-to-week that you run into? I did not start, you know, out of high school um, thinking that I wanted to be in video production or film production. Um, I actually went to school for um, acting. I went to, I was accepted at the conservatory at Webster University and talked to my mom. Um, and she said, you know, if you, if you don't kill it every single semester, they cut you. So you could end up going to school for two years and then getting cut and then have nothing. She said, And the thing is, you're not even totally sure if this is what you're going to want to do. So, you know, we looked around and ended up, um, I ended up going to um, what is now called Missouri State, but it was SMSU when I went there. And um, so I was also playing in bands. So I was doing theater, I was playing hockey, and I was playing, and I was playing in bands in my junior and senior year of high school. So I, I go down to Missouri State, get into classes, 
loving all the technical stuff, meeting all these great people. Um, and three, four weeks in, I meet this, um, he's kind of a, a production theater guy. So he's a guy that works behind the scenes as more of a director and things like that. And he's also a guitar player. And so we just kind of started chatting after school or after class. And he, uh, he said, Hey, why don't we uh, get together and, you know, just see if we can knock out a couple of songs. So um, it took no time at all for us to put together a band at that point. I thought I was going to be a professional musician. I figured out right around 24, 25 that, you know, this probably isn't going to happen. You know, you usually get picked up really young and, you know, they abuse you as long as they can. And then the record company dumps you. So I decided I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to look into audio engineering because that's a natural, you know, movement from music to, you know, from playing music to producing music and, you know, being behind the scenes. And so I, uh, I decided to do that and I went and did an internship at a company called Smith Lee Productions here in St. Louis. And it turned out that I had a conversation with one of the owners and he asked me, Hey, what are you going to, you know, are you going to move to Nashville? Are you going to go to LA when you graduate? What's your plan? And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to stay here in St. Louis. And he looked me in the straight in the face and said, you should probably change your major. And, you know, long story short, he, he said, there's no work here for audio engineers. You're not going to make any money. You're going to get a degree that isn't going to do you any good. You know, get something a little more practical. And um, it just so happened that they had uh, just gotten into video production. And they saw a drive in me that... Um, kind of gave them the indication, hey, let's let's see how you do with video. And I started working with, which is what is now, you know, the film um, standard Avid um, editing software. And I, I fell in love with it. It wasn't that different than the audio engineering software Pro Tools. So I went home and terrified my wife and said I'm going to change my major and uh, change to video and then went to Webster and graduated in 2006 so to go back and answer your question um, I, I would say the answer is yes the the possibilities in this particular field are endless that being said, everyone has their strengths and their weaknesses. Um, my degree really was focused toward motion graphics, which is what I ultimately ended up doing with Joyce Meyer Ministry. Um, even though my degree, you know, I learned how to shoot, I learned how to edit, I learned how to do motion graphics, I learned how to produce, all of those kind of things. Uh, motion graphics was where 
I wanted to be. But throughout the process of being at Joyce Meyer, I started to recognize that I had a hunger for other things. And they did their best to make that, you know, available to me. But, you know, you can only do so much, you know, when you have people in the roles that, you know, are already doing that work. So the Barry Waymiller thing really fully opened it up to me. I was able to shoot, edit, motion graphics, produce all of those things. And it it just expanded my, not only my skill set, but, you know, the, the ideas about what I really enjoy the most and what I just put up with, <laughs> you know, right. as part of the job. So, so with Slycat Productions, you, you now have years of experience and uh, you've kind of fallen into what you excel at. What are your preferred types of projects or what are the projects you just love doing? You know, who the client is really dictates more how I how much I enjoy doing a project. Um, I love working on commercial stuff. I love working on corporate stuff. A lot of the work I do is corporate. You know, everything with um, Anheuser-Busch is corporate internal communications. Um, but I, I would say the thing that I love the most, and if I could, you know, pay for my life with it, I would say documentary work, you know, finding a story and, you know, going through the process of, you know, this is how it happened, kind of like this podcast, really, um, about any kind of, you know, information, really, that's what I absolutely love. Now, that being said, um, you know, face-to-face with client in the the producing space is, um, I really, really enjoy that. I think that's um, one of my favorites. And it's interesting because as much as I enjoy motion graphics, it's not number one for me anymore. You know, it used to be all I wanted to do, but now I've, I've started to recognize that you know, my love for talking to people and, you know, being involved with those kinds of things has made me enjoy producing more than right. being in the edit suite. So it sounds like, again, there's many things one can do in this space and, and follow their passions and grow within their knowledge and how they operate the tools and, and, and become an expert in their field and line of work. With what you do in the day-to-day, are there any aspects of it that you would say people don't necessarily see that are maybe dreaded? I mean, again, I picture behind the camera, behind the computer, and you talk about the interaction with the customer and helping them, I I would assume, come up with uh, taking their concept to real life, something that's going to make sense to uh, the the viewer. Uh, But again, in in the day-to-day it seems like every job has a little minutia and a little bit of dread. Is there anything that we're not seeing that you would say, Hey, you know, this is the part that's maybe not as fun as one would think. Yeah. So I think, um, every creative person, no matter what, 
um, what field you're in, if you're a designer, um, you know, uh, even an architect, you know, um, I would say the biggest frustration of what we do is organization and um, keeping track of, you know, what's happening, how much work you're doing. Um, those are the things that not only are really frustrating, but they're hard for other people to understand. You know, the the person with the typical nine to five, um, you know, they have that set period of time where they're doing the work that has to be done. But that work is based on information that's given to them, whether it's something they look up or something that their boss gives them, or, you know, it's information provided to them rather than information that they have to create in their own mind. So the, what I tell my wife a lot is, you know, she asks, well, how long is it going to take? You know, my wife is a financier. She's a CFO. So, you know, she can say, I'm going to work from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. When I'm done, I turn off my computer and everything stops. With me, my creativity might get a spark at two o'clock in the morning. And if I don't, you know, if I don't answer to that calling, I may lose that spark. So, and it may, it may not happen until four o'clock in the afternoon. And then, you know, I have to figure out a way to either write that stuff down or, you know, get to work on it so that I can hold on to it. It's not something that can be packaged in a certain amount of time. And I think the average person really has a hard time understanding that. Um, and I think it, if I were a creative listening to this, I think it probably would be a sigh of relief that it's not just me. I know that that was, you know, one of the things when I first started getting into video production, you know, I, I worked in restaurants, I had a shift and I didn't have to think except about what drink, how to make a drink and what order someone plays, you know, and once I was off work, it was all out of my head. I didn't have to think about any of that. You know, now it stays in there and um, ferments and, you know, sometimes has to be taken care of. And so, you know, at, at first I was like, oh my gosh, how, you know, my wife's asking me how long it's going to take, and I really can't answer the question, you know, what's wrong with me? And, you know, I would have, I started to have conversations with colleagues that had been doing it for a long time, and they said, that's that's the, the curse, you know, of we, being a creative. Very interesting for, again, what we're trying to do at Career Day Live, and that's to help individuals find their path of passion a little quicker and you just hit on the fact that, you know, there's, there's differences in the way our brain comes together. Some of us are more creative and less organized. Some are organized and it's harder to be creative. And, you know, that, that's just important to understand about yourself and be okay with it and also not allow mm -hmm. yourself to be 
packaged into the other side. Because I think what you'll find yourself right. ultimately miserable if you try to fit yourself inside the other box. And what I think I actually heard you say was right. part of the dread is you love the creative part of your job, but there is an aspect of it that you do have to back out and, and put on that organizational hat. And that's the spot yeah. that it's not natural, but still has to be done. And, you know, I think you could say mm -hmm. the same or any other person could say the same. Your wife is a CFO. There are probably times where she has to get a little more creative and not that she can't do it. She probably can. It's just harder. And so vice versa, it goes both ways. And it's just a very uh, key part to this conversation, which I appreciate. I think it drives into the next question of a lot of times I like to ask, you know, what, what's that person look like who's successful in this world? And it sounds like doing what you do requires a large portion of creativity. So uh, are the most successful people in your line of work pretty creative? I think you have to break it down a little bit further to really understand um, an answer to that question. Um, I know, I know guys who work in this industry that are um, engineers that are, you know, in the traditional sense, not creative and extremely successful. And, you know, um, I also know guys that are far more creative than me that are probably less successful than they could be because of one thing or another. Um, I don't know that, you know, the be all end all is your level of creativity. I think it's, you know, just like any other job, your drive has a lot to do with your success, whether it be, you know, utilizing tools that you have available to you to communicate um or you know um the the ability to really get out there and market yourself i think that those you know we all start off with once we graduate with that basic skill set but it, it you know I, I didn't mention but i also teach at my alma mater webster university and one of the things that i teach is you know if if you haven't gotten to your senior year and done anything outside of the regular curriculum you need to be thinking about where this is actually going to go because the curriculum is there to help you but you know if you don't get out there and experience things you know making a, a short film just to see how the process works you know you, there aren't enough classes out there to make it you know make you an expert right out of school i think what you're saying um, is the the importance of continuing education it's one thing to go to school and get a degree and that's an important part yeah. but if you're not learning outside of that if you're not continuing to grow and even you mentioned in your career how you continued to learn new arts to it Ultimately, you're going to die. And that's the case for any career you want to be in. You have to continue to grow. And, and I think I that's what I hear you say. Yeah, it's it's interesting thinking about, you know, my my short evolution thus far. 
and the fact that, you know, I've been willing to grow and that has brought me success. You know, I, I think, you know, I have, I'm good at talking to people. I enjoy talking to people. There are people in this industry that are extremely successful and absolutely awkward um, and do everything they can to avoid speaking to people. So, you know, I can't necessarily say I'm more successful than that person because of that trait. Um, what I can say is the, the true drive to get from point A to point Z every day is what is going to make you successful. And I think that that works in any field. Um, you know, it's just a different conversation, you know, depending on the job. You know, my wife always says I have a fun job. And I agree, my job is fun, but it is still work and it's still very hard work, you know. And um, especially with the fact that it takes a part of my, you know, a big part of my emotional side of my brain to focus on my work. And so by the end of the day, you know, that emotional side that most people don't use during their work day, you know, mine is depleted to a certain extent. So, you know, it, it's different. It's a very different experience, but anybody that has, you know, the, the interest or, you know, the desire to be in this type of field, I think is, I, I definitely would suggest they reach out for it. Well, let me ask you this. I know you teach at a university, and so maybe it's a little bit of a trick question. Do you believe, because this is a creative role, that um, a degree is actually an absolute requirement? Or if I have the natural skills, let's say I have a college degree in some other field, and I got it because my parents told me to, but I'm really passionate toward this. Do I have to go back and get another degree or is this something I can utilize my uh, skills, my uh, the things I've learned and maybe connections with other people in the industry because I've just reached out. I had the drive to do it. Can I get jobs without having a degree? So that's actually something that we talk about pretty, pretty consistently at Webster. Um, so, and, the adage is it's the who and the what and what is more, which one is more important, you know, who you know and what you know. So I would say there are people um, that are just naturally talented that maybe school is not necessarily for them. And maybe school is more of a distraction than a benefit. There are also folks that don't, you know, don't really succeed unless they have that sense of um, understanding what they're doing, at least on, you know, the, you know, undergraduate level. And I think that's most people I think most people are not confident enough to get out there and say, I'm a filmmaker without having that, you know, backbone of 
understanding of the or you know the industry um but i feel like it's 50 50 and i think part of the reason that it's really important to go to school um is not for what you're going to learn but it's who you're going to meet you know one of the great things about film school and this is going to sound crazy but a very small percentage especially at Webster University, are full-time faculty. You know, the majority of the faculty teaching in film at Webster are adjunct. So they are like me. They have a full-time job in the field, and then they teach on the side. And I think that that's invaluable because not only are you learning from someone that is con continually learning, such as myself, but you're also meeting people that you wouldn't necessarily have met had you not gone to school. And, you know, for instance, I, you know, the first thing I have my students do for my professional development class is if they don't have a LinkedIn account already, they need to get one. And then the second part is they need to connect with me because I've, I have 1200 connections. So, you know, automatically just by connecting with me, they have the potential of connecting with all of those people. And, you know, going back to the who and what, you know, if, if you were to connect with me on LinkedIn and have a desire to be in film production, but no true knowledge, then, you know, if you went to ask me, hey, you know, I want to do a film for this guy, you know, would you introduce me? I'm going to say, mm, you know, show me your work. If your work's awesome, then I will. But if you don't have really anything under your belt, then you know, the answer is going to be no. And to be honest with you, I've done both. I've promoted someone who did not go to school and I've promoted people who have gone to school. So, you know, and there are a lot of people that have gone to school that were my students that I absolutely would never suggest to a colleague that they work with them. Right. And it's not because I don't like them. It's because you know, they just don't have everything that it takes to be successful enough for me to share that contact with them because right. it would eventually, you know, reflect poorly on myself. So I can't afford to do that. Yeah, the, the number one skill set that's missing in all of corporate America, and I'm talking all jobs, is the soft skills, the ability to deal with people, handle conflict, have a real conversation, all of those things, which I focus on under the Stop Clowning Around platform that I run. But at the same time, I, I think that that brings it up. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you cannot effectively work with others and, and have a good attitude and and connect in, in a meaningful way and keep relationships without having fights all the time, you're not going to go that far. And it, it, again, it seems to be what I hear you say. You know, Elias, unfortunately, we're running out of time. And so we need to bring this to a close. The question everyone always asks, and, and again, you can do a range here. There's 
I would think in your line of work, it could be all over the board. But knowing you, I know one can make a living doing this. But what is an income range, a safe range that that one could expect to make if they were doing this with a decent drive and uh, going at this full time in video production? Well, I think that the um, the amount of money is there's a huge range. I mean, you could go into it, you know, starting out at thirty five thousand dollars a year, and with a decent amount of drive, you know, continually to continue to gradually go up. Um, you can also start with an amazing amount of drive and not make any money. Um, but I think it, to give you an average range, I would say I've been anywhere from 30,000 to 80,000. Um, I'm hoping to surpass that with having my own business. But, you know, right now I'm much closer to the 30,000 than I and to the 80,000, which is where I was, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, so and that's not to scare um, anyone off, by the way. Any business owner starts at the uh, the growth phase and usually far outpaces anything they ever made as an employee. So there's always a benefit to be the entrepreneur, but there's always the risk up front. I hear you. Elias, if I could finish with one final question. I appreciate everything you've you've talked about this entire time. If I'm your student and I'm sitting in class and I'm saying, teacher, what are the top two or three things I need to do in order to be successful? And I, I really believe you've already answered it. I'm just asking you to give me a summary real quick. The top three things I need to do to be okay. successful in this line of work, what would you tell them? Never stop learning. Meet as many people as you can and don't take it personally. Not everyone is going to love the work that you do. As long as you love it, that's all that matters. Well, I think that's fantastic advice. I appreciate it. I want to, again, thank you for taking time to share a little of your story, your experience, and helping someone maybe pursue this path of passion. All right, thank you. It was great talking. This program is only possible with the support of guests that care about helping others find their calling. If you or someone you know would be interested in sharing, please email us at cdl at stopclowningaround.com.